My name is uh, Travis Rutland. For those of you who haven't met me yet, I'm the newest uh, staff member here at the assembly. Um, thank you. Appreciate that. Amen. <laughs> now, for those of you, you may have noticed my wife got up and walked out right before I got up to speak, but that's not an indication of anything. Uh, we have a one-year-old in the nursery that's misbehaving, so I, I didn't want you to be disillusioned as you saw her, saw her leave. My, uh, my dad, uh, Mark, is the new president at ORU, and he was speaking at another church this morning, but uh, mom came, my mom came to the early service to hear me, so that, that should relieve you, not, not to worry. It's not going to be as bad as you think it is. Yesterday at the, uh, at the back-to-school boot camp, a little kid came up to me and said, hey, who's in charge? And I said, well, I am. He goes, really? I was like, yes, really, I'm in charge. Go get in line and get some supplies, okay? So... Uh, but we had a great time. For those of you that weren't there, the boot camp, the back-to-school event that uh, Pastor Devin mentioned was awesome. Uh, last year, we had almost 700 kids come by and get supplies. Yesterday, we had 984 children receive supplies. So it was awesome. Amen. We had about 1,700 people total. We did 165 haircuts, a bunch of immunizations. We fed them donuts and hamburgers. It was just a great event, and I was thrilled to be part of that. I'm thrilled to be part of a church that wants to pour into the community and reflect God's love to the community. And for those of you that gave financially in the I Love My Church offering, or those of you that volunteered yesterday with your time and your, and your effort and your energy, I just want to say thank you. Those kind of events cannot happen without your faithfulness. So on behalf of the entire pastoral staff, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Now, if you will, uh, open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 21. Two Samuel chapter 21, I'm going to begin reading with verse 15. Two Samuel 21 and 15. I'm going to preach today on, you're from Gath, I think I knew your brother. Two Samuel 21 and 15. Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines and he became exhausted. And Ishbi Binob one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. But Abishai came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. In the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. At that time, Shibekah killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha. In another battle with the Philistines at Gob, El-Hanan, the, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. In still another battle, which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He also was descended from Rapha. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shimea, David's brother, killed him. These four were descendants of Rapha and Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for every person, every life that's represented here today. You've blessed us in the praise and worship and ask that your spirit would just descend with us now, that you would just continue to be here with us. You would give me the exact right words to say, God, if you can't speak through me, ask that you would speak in spite of me and that your Holy Spirit would just descend on every life that's represented here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. David is an old man when we see him in this passage. Everybody knows David and Goliath. 
But David and Goliath happened 40 years ago. He's an old man now. he's, He's faced his giant. He's killed Goliath. That's in the past. That's not gonna happen again. He's done with that. He's done facing giants. He's finished. That's behind him. But Perseus, a Roman poet says, he conquers who endures. He conquers who endures. And David has endured and he has conquered. He's endured battle after battle. He's endured civil war from his own son. He's he's at the end of his life. But what happens? Another giant shows up, a brother of Goliath. This guy hasn't forgotten David and Goliath either. This guy hasn't forgotten that incident. He remembers. He even says he comes with a new sword. I wonder if he made that sword specifically to kill David, to go back to his dad and his brothers and say, I have avenged the death of our brother Goliath. This sword took off the head of David. Like David cut off Goliath's head, I have used this sword to cut off David's head. That's the first thing I see in this passage. There is always another giant. A lot of preachers want to give you good news. I got some bad news for you this morning. There's always another giant. No matter where you are, no matter how successful you are, no matter where you think you are in your Christian life, there's always another giant. Because that's what Satan does. Satan knows it's not how you start, it's how you finish. He doesn't care how on fire you are for God when you first get saved. What, it's a war of attrition. Satan fights a war of attrition. It's inch by inch by inch. Temptation by temptation by temptation. He, he picks away at your Christianity. He picks away at your salvation. You didn't really get saved. Well, you call yourself a Christian. I know what you were thinking last night. I know what you were doing. I know how you talk at work when your wife's not around. It's a war of attrition. So be prepared. Because there's always going to be another giant. Goliath's got brothers. Five brothers all together. Rapha, this guy Rapha, had five giant sons. I'd like to meet his giant wife, that's for sure. Five giant sons. Think about that, ladies. <laughs> that's unbelievable. So there's always, Goliath's got a brother. And you kill that brother, and another one shows up. And you kill that one, and another one shows up. There seems to be no end to this giant family. And that's how it is. Paul knew this. What does he say? What does he tell Timothy? At the end of Paul's life, what does Paul tell Timothy? He doesn't say, start well. Be on fire for God at the beginning. That's important. But what does he tell him? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Keep the faith this morning. Don't be discouraged when another giant shows up. Because another giant's always going to show up. Another giant's always coming back. Satan's not just going to let you go. He's going to fight. He's going to fight to drag you into hell every minute of every second of your life. But if we're prepared for that, if we're prepared to fight, prepared to put our head down and keep knocking those giants out, that's, that, that's, the, that's the key. In the... Uh, in the 1930s, there was a fullback that played for the Chicago Bears called Bronco Nagurski. I don't assume you older guys have heard of him or football fans. Uh, having moved to Oklahoma just a couple months ago, it seems like everybody in Oklahoma is a football fan. So I'm sure you, you've heard of this guy. But Bronco Nagurski played fullback 
for the Chicago Bears in the 1930s. And he was a bruising, I mean, one of the biggest guys on the field, and he carried the ball. So at the end of one game, they got time for one play. They're out of field goal range. They're down. They're behind. They're losing by three points. They've got to score a touchdown to win. They're on about the 40-yard line. Well, these days, we throw a Hail Mary, throw a pass into the end zone. Not the Chicago Bears of the 1930s. They decide to hand the ball to Bronco Nagurski and see if he can run 40 yards for a touchdown. So they give Bronco the ball. He bowls through the defensive line, knocks over a couple linebackers, stomps a safety into the end zone. Now, this is back in the day when the field goal posts were in the end zone. So he runs into a field goal post, spins around, keeps running, and they're playing in Wrigley Field. He hits the brick wall in Wrigley Field and falls over. The team jumps on him. Bronco, you did it. We won the game. Are you okay? He says, well, those first couple of guys weren't so bad, but that last fella hit me awful hard. <laughs> That's what you got to do. Put your head down and run. There's always going to be another giant. If you say to yourself, I've done it. I beat that giant. It's over with. You set yourself up for a fall. Ishbi Binob's got a new sword and he's looking to cut your head off. He remembers that you killed his brother, and he's not letting it go. So don't be discouraged when, the giant, when another giant shows up, because another giant's always going to show up. Now look, if you will, uh, a few verses down. In, actually, we'll go through. Ver, begin, just the beginning of verse 15. Once again, there was a battle. Verse 18. In the course of time, there was another battle. 19. In another battle. And then I want to look specifically at verse 20. In still another battle which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He was also descended from Rapha, and Jonathan killed him. Dwight Eisenhower said in an interview that his main objective in World War II was to kill Germans east of the Rhine River to kill Nazis east of the Rhine River. East of the Rhine River is Germany. The border between France and Germany is the Rhine River. So his objective was to kill Nazis in Germany because Dwight Eisenhower, one of our greatest generals, knew that you can invade North Africa, you can push the Nazis out of North Africa, you can invade Sicily, you can invade Italy, you can set up D-Day, you can establish a beachhead in Normandy, you can push the Nazis out of France, you can run them out of Holland, you can get them out of Belgium, but if you want to win World War II, you've got to invade Germany. You've got to get to Berlin and kill Hitler. This is what we forget. You've got to kill the giants where they live. That's what I see here. You must destroy the giants where they live. We know they were from Gath. The Bible tells us that. Goliath of Gath. Why didn't David go there 40 years before and kill all those brothers? Because it's not easy. It's hard. But you have to go to Gath and kick down the gates and kill the giants that live there. We cannot allow giants to remain in our lives. We cannot allow them to dig in at Gath and say, you're not coming in there. This is our stronghold. We're from Gath. You're not, and you're not coming in here. Don't allow giants to remain in your life. Now look at this. This is, this is fascinating when I read this. Look at this final giant. This guy's really just mind-boggling picture. 
here that the Bible paints for us. In Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. Unbelievable. But one thing that I saw from this guy is those 12 fingers, they give him extra grasping ability, the ability to really dig his fingers in and hold on. And that's what this guy's doing. He's dug his fingers in in Gath. You may have a giant this morning, and it feels like it's been in your life so long that all 12 fingers and all 12 toes are dug in, and you can't ever get that giant out. But I got news for you. You can get him out, and it must come out. You go to Gath, and you kick down the gates, and you say, I'm here for the 12-fingered man. And you chop his head off. That's what you got to do. Don't be discouraged. You've had some habitual sin in your life. You have some temptation that you struggle with year after year. Today is the day of your deliverance. Today you can go to Gath and say, I'm not going to let these giants live here anymore. Your stronghold is broken. Your power over my life is broken. This ends today. I killed your brother. I killed the other brother. And now I'm here for you. That's what you can do. God gives you the power to do that. I'm not perfect. I've met all the guys on staff. I got news for you. They ain't perfect either. <laughs> Except for Mark Mackin. He's as close to perfect as you can get. <laughs> Don't shake your head no, Jonna. <laughs> Listen, none of us are perfect. I struggle with stuff. Everybody does. But the trick is, don't let the giants dig in. Don't let them get into gaff and sink their 12 fingers and 12 toes in. Get that stuff out. It has to come out. What does it tell us in 2 Corinthians 10? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. If you have a stronghold in your life today, I encourage you, go to Gath and get that giant out. Now, if you will, the last verse that I read, I want to just look at it briefly. <coughs> Excuse me. Chapter, uh, verse 22. These four, speaking of these four giants that have been killed, these four were descendants of Rapha in Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. But as far as I can tell from the Bible, Rapha never fought any of those battles, and neither did David. Those four giants were killed by four of David's mighty men that we read about later on in 2 Samuel, the mighty men of David. So Rapha didn't fight those battles, and David didn't fight those battles. And yet, they're both credited. So this is what I encourage you with this morning. You can either create giants, or you can create giant killers. I want us to be a community of giant killers. We influence Broken Arrow and Tulsa. Come here, see what these people are doing. They're, they've killed the giants in our own lives. We're not saying to the community at large that we're perfect. We're saying, look, we had giants in our lives. We had things we struggled with. We had things that were about to overwhelm us. We had things that looked too difficult. But God gave us the power to become giant killers, and now we, we invite you to join us in killing these giants in our community. Create a culture of giant killing. That's what we want to do. We don't want to be Rafa. He creates these five monstrous, profane, Philistine giants. We want to be David. He creates a list of mighty men. If you will, turn over two chapters to 2 Samuel 23. 
the heading for that chapter in my Bible is simply titled, 2 Samuel 23, the heading for the chapter is David's Mighty Men. David's Mighty Men. Now look at this, 2 Samuel 23 and verse 20. It's talking about Benaiah. Benaiah, he's a valiant man. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. I don't believe for a second that Benaiah did that stuff by himself. He did it because he'd been sitting around a campfire with David for the last 40 years listening to David tell stories. David said, boys, let me tell you about the time I killed Goliath. Guys, gather around. I want to tell you about that lion I killed when I was a little boy watching my daddy's sheep. I was just a shepherd boy, and a lion came to kill my dad's sheep, and I killed the lion instead. So then when Benaiah finds himself in a pit, pretty bad, with a lion, okay, this is worse. Oh, great. Now it's snowing. This is fantastic. I'm in a pit with a lion in Minnesota. It's like the worst day of your entire life. In a pit with a lion on a snowy day. And yet he is not intimidated at all by his circumstances because he has let himself be influenced by a giant killer. Become a giant killer. Hang around with giant killers. Influence others to become giant killers. This is how you live on. This is how you not physically live on, but this is how you live on. This is how you extend your your witness and your testimony so that your kids, the people that love you, your friends say, I am who I am today because he showed me, she showed me how to be a giant killer. That your kids say, my mom was the greatest giant killer I've ever known. My grandfather showed me how to kill giants. And now I'm a giant killer. In 1981, just a couple of months after Ronald Reagan was elected president, there was an assassination attempt on his life. Uh, Most of you remember this. He was coming out of a hotel in Washington, D.C. And uh, John Hinckley, mentally ill and obsessed with the actress Jodie Foster, some odd way, thought killing the president. Do you remember this? Shoots at Reagan a couple of times. One bullet actually hits Reagan. But several missed. And the, the Secret Service agent who is credited with saving Reagan's life was a Secret Service agent named Jerry Parr. And Jerry Parr jumped on the president, pushed him in the limousine, they sped away, and only one bullet hit the, hit the president, and the doctors removed it, and he was saved. Jerry Parr was the hero of that. And afterwards, they interviewed Jerry Parr, and they asked him how he became a Secret Service agent. And he told the most amazing story you've ever heard. Jerry Parr, as a little boy, went and saw a movie about the Secret Service called Code of the Secret Service. And he just said, wow, these guys are fighting bad guys and fighting terrorists, you know, and they're they're locking up the criminals. That's what I want to be. That's that. I want to be a Secret Service agent. And it stuck. And Jerry Parr grew up and became a Secret Service agent. The star of the Code of the Secret Service was a young actor named Ronald Reagan. (laughs) He starred as a character in the movie called Brass Bancroft, the Secret Service agent. So that little boy 
that watched a movie with an actor in it, grew up to be a secret service agent, that actor grew up to be the president, and that boy saved the president's life. That is the most unbelievable thing I think I've ever read. As far as I know, it's true. I didn't get it off Wikipedia, so as far as I know, that story is true. It's a, <laughs> I actually read it in a book, not on the internet. So. But that, that is how you create an influence that lives on beyond, beyond you. We even see it in the scripture we read. David is about to get his head cut off by Ishbi Binob, and Abishai shows up and kills that giant. Now, you create an influence of giant killers. No, you know, they may not show up and, and literally physically save your life, but your life is extended beyond your, beyond your physical life. We only have a certain number of years, but think of all the people that you can touch and all the giant killers that they create and all the giant killers that they create. If everybody at the assembly today would say, I make a pact to create a culture of giant killers, there is no telling what this church and this community can do. We could change the world. That's how things start. When we corporately say, we set our face like a flint, we set our face like a stone, we resolve this very morning to create a culture of giant killing. This town will never be the same this community, this church. That's what God's calling us to do. We're giant killers. You can do it this morning. We can be a culture and a community of giant killers. And then our influence lives on beyond us. Let me close with this. I want to tell you about two giant killers in my life. I grew up in the church. My dad is a university president now. But he wasn't a university president when I was a little boy. He was just a preacher. Just. But just a preacher. He's still a preacher. If you ask him what he really does, it's not university president, it's preacher. And I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. I knew everything about it. And yet I drifted from God. I drifted from the church. By the time I was in high school, I was starting to experiment with drugs and alcohol. I dropped out of college. My life had just become a wasteland of chemical abuse, alcohol abuse. And the giants had dug their fingers in deep. The 12-fingered man was dug in deep. And I got married. We started having some kids. And as our kids got a little older, my wife said, we need to go back to church. We need to find a church. So we started going to a little church in Lakeland, Florida, where we used to live. And I pastored there by a man named Elwood Rakes. I'm sure that none of you know Elwood Rakes. And he was the greatest giant killer I've ever known. And he influenced me more than he will ever know. He was old-timey. I mean, old-timey assembly of God. And I loved him. When the Passion of the Christ came out, he said from the pulpit... I want you to go see this movie. He said, now, I've never been in a picture show, but you should go. And I thought, picture show? My God, how old is this guy? <laughs> I mean, picture show? Are you kidding me? But he had never been to the movies in his entire life until The Passion of the Christ came out. That's old school right there. <laughs> 
But he was passionate about God. He was passionate for people. He loved me back into the church. I would not be here this morning. I would not be a preacher. I would not be here speaking with you this morning. I don't know where I would be or what my life would look like if it had not been for the intervention of Elwood Rakes. Just a regular guy, pastoring a church, loving on people. He was a giant killer. And he influenced, he influenced me to become a giant killer, to help people, to help my community, to respond to people in need. And you say, okay, that's, that's fine, Travis, but I'm not a preacher. That's not the important thing. If that's what you're thinking, you're missing it. What I'm saying is you have a circle of influence. You have people that you can pour into their lives. There's somebody you work with who's going through a divorce and his wife hates his guts and his kids won't talk to him. He's got giants in his life and you know the solution. Influence him. Help him to get the giants out and encourage him to become a giant killer himself. There's a woman, a single mom that's living next door. She gets no child support. She's got four kids. She's all alone. She's depressed. She's got nobody to talk to. There it is. Influence her. We must turn outward. That's what this back to school boot camp is, but it's an everyday. It's not a one day a year event. I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody else. Don't think I'm coming up here and acting holier than thou. We have to say, look, we have the solution. We have the answer. We used to be, we used to have giants in our lives, but now we've become giant killers. Just regular folks that say, we're not going to take it from these giants anymore. And you influence the people around you, the folks that you love, the people you care about. Let me tell you about one other giant killer. I grew up in the, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, in just a rural Georgia community. And uh, my best friend growing up was a boy named Jason Lynn. And when you're a kid, you want to hang out with people that are cool. You want to hang out with people that have that self-confidence about themselves. They, they, you know, they're just self-confident. You, you want to do that when you're a kid. And you still want to do that when you get older. That's why I hang out with David Lermy. You know you are. Look how cool. So you want to hang out with people that are cool. You want to hang, he just drew, he was, he was an engaging character. And he was self-confident. But, they, uh, but Jason had a rare blood disease. Some kind of hereditary disease. I was a little boy and I didn't understand it. When he was uh, about five years old, the doctors decided that the only way to save his life was to amputate both his legs above the knee. Both legs. So by the time I met Jason when, I don't know, I was eight or nine, both his legs gone. And this was a long time ago. I'm not, I'm not that old, but the technology has really advanced. They didn't have these cool, you know, spring back legs or anything like that. He had these two huge plastic legs that didn't bend. And when he put his fake legs on, walk like that. Then when he'd come over to my house, we'd take those legs off and he would run around on his, his hands and his knees almost. I love Jason. He was the greatest Christian I ever knew. He was the greatest Christian. He, was, he loved God. He loved people. When I was 12 years old, 
my friend Jason died. He had a heart attack. His heart, he was so active. His heart literally couldn't keep up with his body. When I was 12 years old, he had a heart attack and died. And I remember being at that funeral and looking at the people, looking at his younger brothers, looking at his parents, his friends, the people in that church, the folks in that community that knew him, the doctors and nurses from the hospital that came to the funeral. And I realized in his short life, he created a culture of giant killing. He said, I have physical giants. He was beset on all sides by giants and yet it never got him down. I never heard him complain. I never heard him say, I wish I had legs, nothing. He was 12 years old and he probably influenced more people in his life to become giant killers than I ever will if I live to be 112 years old because he was passionate. He said, I have seen these giants. I have faced these giants and they are not bigger than I am. My God is bigger than these giants. Become a giant killer this morning. Become a giant killer this morning. This is about regular people saying, I'm not gonna let these giants remain in my life anymore and I'm not gonna let these giants remain in the lives of the people I care about. I'm making a decision this morning to become a giant killer and to influence others to become giant killers. And if we do that, there is no telling what God will do in this church the blessings that God will pour out on our community because of our faithfulness. Resolve this morning, this very morning, I will become a giant killer and I will influence others to become giant killers. God is gonna bless us. This is a great church and I love being a part of it. And I'm excited to see what God's gonna do in the future. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, I thank you for every person that's represented here today. I thank you for every life, every family. And I ask that you would just finish this sermon in the hearts of the hearers right now. God, I thank you for everything that you've done today from the music. Your spirit has been here with us this morning and I thank you for that. And now as the band plays... I know that we've already prayed for needs, physical needs, problems, issues, but now this is just a different time. What I'm offering is if you wanna come forward and say, I wanna resolve to become a giant killer this morning, or you may have a giant in your life and you know it's there, it's dug its fingers in, it's living in gath, and you say, I've got to get this giant out of my life. I've got to move on. I've got to put this giant behind me. There may be more giants, but for now, I've got to slay this giant. These altars are open. The band's going to play. And I just encourage you to come forward. If you want to get rid of giants, if you want to become a giant killer, if you have people that you love and care about that have giants in their life, God loves you and he wants to touch you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.